Joseph, a young Hebrew sold into slavery by his jealous brothers, ended up in Egypt in the service of Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials. Because God was with Joseph, he prospered, so much so that Potiphar entrusted him with the running of his whole household. All was well until Potiphar's wife sought to seduce Joseph, but he persistently resisted her advances. However, the spurned woman falsely accused him of rape and he was thrown into prison. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Sometime later, two of Pharaoh's officials, the cupbearer and the baker, offended their master and were put in the same prison where Joseph was confined. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, had a dream. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected, so he asked Pharaoh's officials, Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So first, the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. The interpretation that Joseph gave him concerned the cupbearer being restored to his former position before Pharaoh. Joseph concluded his interpretation by saying, But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Then the baker shared his dream. But this time, Joseph's interpretation foretold that within three days, the baker would be judged and beheaded. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Welcome everyone. Why don't we put our hands together and welcome everybody gathering in other our locations, in our services and online. So glad you could join us for part four of Living the Dream. It's an amazing story, isn't it? The, the Joseph story. So many great lessons that we can apply to our lives. We're in a particular season of Joseph's life. I've called it a preparation season. It's a 13-year-long season from the time when at the age of 17 he has this dream of future greatness. And then he has to wait um, 13 years till he's 30 when he starts seeing the dream fulfilled. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, there's a couple of 
tests that he has to pass, tests that we often have to face in our own lives. For those of you here a fortnight ago, you remember Joseph had to pass the forgiveness test. And I know many, many people responded to that message, and there was a deeper work of freedom in, in your life, which I think is wonderful. And then last week, Andrew stunningly unpacked for us how Joseph overcame the faithfulness test and said no to Mrs. Uh, Mrs. P and um, overcame and triumphed over temptation. But there's a third test that I want to look at today that Joseph faced and it's the fruitfulness test. Can we say those three words together? Forgiveness, faithfulness, fruitfulness. What is this test of fruitfulness? It's this. Although Joseph had a dream for the future, he was going to be stunningly promoted. He didn't wait until the dream started to be fulfilled before he started prospering and enjoying God's blessing. In, in other words, he was fruitful in the preparation season, in the tough time. He didn't just wait for the big break. He chose to do what I want to encourage every single one of us to, to do, is not wait for the future, but to make a difference now. Can we say that together? To make a difference now. I don't know about you, but I find... One of the dangers, particularly if I'm waiting for a promise to be fulfilled or a vision or a dream to come to pass, or maybe it's just a season in my life when I think there doesn't seem to be a lot happening here. I find sometimes I can get into a bit of escapism, and while it's important that we look to the future and we hold on to the promises of God, I believe it's vital that we don't, as it were, somehow live in the future because guess what? We've only got one life and the only life that we can live is in the now. I can't make a difference um, by living in tomorrow. I've got to make a difference by living right here and now. Do you ever find yourself saying, or maybe sometime in your life you've found yourself saying, when I leave school, when I go to university, when I get my qualifications, when I meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright, when I get married, when I get my perfect job, when I win the lottery, when Man City get to the top of the premiership, that's when I'm going to be living the dream. Seriously though, did you find yourself putting off the blessing till some future moment? You say, well, that's when I'm going to really start living life, but there's only one place you can start really making a difference, and that is now. Don't wait. Yes, let's believe God for greater promotion. And here's the, here's the thing. If we put off the blessing always to the future, and we always wait before we decide to make a difference, guess what? We won't be ready for what God has in store for us for when he does promote us. And so that's what we see in Joseph. He doesn't wait for the big break. He doesn't even know that his preparation season is going to end. We know. Instead, right in the midst of this tough preparation season, we see that he prospers and he makes a stunning difference. And I believe he's a fantastic example for all of us and how we can live our lives and make a difference in our now, in our 21st century context. So let's look at two, two ways that Joseph was able to make a difference in his now. The first is this, it's a call for us, like him, to expect 
the favor of God. Expect the favor of God. Not the favor of God sometime in the future. How many are ready to see the favor of God right now in your life? So I'm not going to put it off until tomorrow. I'm not going to wait until everything works out. I can believe for the favor of God right now in my current situation, even if the situation is tough. And that's exactly what we see in Joseph's situation. I mean, let's remember how tough life was for him. He's a slave. He's hundreds of miles from home. He's a foreigner. He's not got any rights or privileges. He ends up in prison. How many think that being a slave and being a prisoner represents tough, represents confinement. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, instead of though us reading at the beginning of chapter 39 when he arrives at Egypt, things like, and here was Joseph, downcast, defeated, full of self-pity. We don't read that. Instead, we read these remarkable words. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. The Lord was with him. And gave him success in everything he did. You could say, Joseph, you've not got got any right to be successful. (laughs) You're a slave. How can you possibly succeed? But Joseph didn't let the limitations of his current circumstance stop him from prospering, being successful, and making a difference in the here and the now. And he's a fantastic example for you and me, how we can make a difference. No matter how life tough life is, no matter how much we're waiting for the future promotion, God wants us to enjoy his favor now, to experience his presence now, in a very tangible way. In fact, if you look at the way Genesis 39 is written, I encourage you to study it on your own. The first part of the chapter starts off like we've just read. God was with him. God's prospering him. He's succeeding in everything he does. That's a slave in Potiphar's household. Then we have the incident with Mrs. Potiphar. He overcomes. And then we go, he's unjustly put, unjustly put in prison. And then almost exactly the same language. Now in prison, it says, and the Lord was with him, gave him success in everything he did. In other words, here's Joseph in the midst of a tough time facing horrendous temptation. And it's like he's in a favor sandwich. How many like to be in a favor sandwich? You're in the middle and you've got the favor of God all around you. Well, I believe that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be surrounded by his favor. He's not yet out of the situation, but he's blessed. He's protected. He's got the smile of God. He's got the presence of God all around him in those situations. And notice what happens as a result of the favor of God on him. There's an overflow. Do you know when God blesses your life, God wants that blessing to overflow to others? And so we read in Genesis 39, verse 5, I love this, it says, The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian, that's Potiphar. Can we say this together? Because of Joseph. How many of you like this to be said over your life? God's blessing that company, that school, that neighborhood, because of you. Because of the favor of God on your life. This is wonderful kingdom ambassador stuff. Blessed to be a blessing. But here's my, my thing, that if Joseph in the Old Testament could enjoy this, how much more could we in Christ enjoy the favor of God? We need to ask the question, why was the favor of God on Joseph's life? Well, that early part of the chapter, chapter 39, as, as you read the, the passage, it's not like Joseph's done anything really. He's just turned up unjustly thrown into slavery, but he's not 
there's no been real evidence of him walking with God or obeying God. We could say that at the start of the story, Joseph is just being blessed because God is good. And because Joseph is in the line of promise and the line of blessing that goes back to his great-granddaddy, Abraham. What did God say over Abraham? I will bless you and make you a blessing. And that blessing carries on down to Isaac and then to Jacob. So it's just as if, if you like, Joseph is walking in inherited blessing. But guess what? When we're in Christ, we live in inherited blessing, don't we? Amen. We live in the, all the blessings of God, all the promises of God to Abraham and all the other Old Testament promises are all fulfilled in one who is without equal, who has no rival. His name is Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And because we are in him and he's in us, we can expect the favor of God to manifest. We walk in unconditional grace and favor because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we've done. Isn't that amazing? And that means if Joseph had this kind of experience, how much more we in Christ as New Testament believers? So we can say, along with the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.31, you can say this when you go out this afternoon or into... Monday morning, wherever you step out into your front line, you can say, if God is for us, who can be against us? If the presence of God was with Joseph, how much more is he going to be with you and with me? Not only is he with us in the New Testament, but now by the new birth, he's in us. So he's certainly for us, isn't he? Can I say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah, come on, let's thank him for that. And then he goes on in that same passage of Romans 8 to talk about all the difficulties and many of the people who Paul's writing to is in pers uh, being persecuted, Paul himself being persecuted. He says, but in all these things, in all these trials, in all these tough times, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Praise God. Thank God for the favor of God. If Joseph experienced the manifest presence of God. Not just the fact that God's everywhere, but God actually with him. Think about it. You're not going to work alone. God is with you and in you and surrounding you, surrounded by the favor of God if you've received Christ. But there's a sense in which while because we're in Christ, we all can enjoy unconditional favor. If we look at the story of Joseph, and in fact, if you look through the Old Testament, there's a sense in which this phrase, the Lord was with him, is saying that the Lord was with this man in a particular way. And so while the first part of the chapter is the Lord was with him, unconditional favor, walking in the blessing of Abraham, what happens in between the beginning of chap the chapter when he's a slave and when he gets put in prison? Those of you here last week, what happened in between? Who did he encounter in between? Mrs. Potiphar. Now, think with me. Do you think... God was pleased with Joseph hundreds of years before Christ without, without, an old without an Old Testament, without the Ten Commandments, that he was able to say, because of my loyalty to God and because of wanting to please him, Mrs. Potiphar, on your bike. Well, he didn't quite say that, but... How many think that, that, that pleased? Or more to the point, Joseph got on his bike and fled out of there. 
And so when we next read, he's now unjustly in prison, I think there's a sense in which although he's inheriting favor, he's also positioning himself for staying in the slipstream of God's blessing. We're not told what would have happened if Joseph had fallen, but what we can see positively, this is what happens to a man who's been loyal to God and God's covenant. It says, but while Joseph was there in prison, guess what? What do we find again? The Lord was with him. He showed him. He, God, showed him kindness or loyalty and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Don't you just love this? Here's this guy at the bottom of, you, if you like, the social order, and yet he keeps rising to the top. You can't keep a man with the favor of God down. Or a woman, for that matter. Praise God. He wants to anoint modern-day Josephs and Josephines with his favor and cause them to be raised up as kingdom ambassadors. Amen. Blessed to be a blessing. And so like Joseph, let's receive the favor of God as a gift, but let's also position ourselves through obedience. John 14, 21, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. For those who keep his commands, he says, he will love them and he will manifest himself to them. Guess what? God wants to display his favor and his manifest presence over your life. How many want maximum favor? Let me ask you, how many want maximum favor wherever you gathered? Well, let's position ourselves through faith and obedience. Let's expect the favor of God to manifest. And then your very famous verse we often quote from the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28 verse 20. It's a wonderful sort of end to the whole book. Uh, and Jesus says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The context of that is actually in the context of as we go out and make Jesus known, he promises in a, not just in a he's with us because he's always with us because he loves us, but this is a sense of his manifest presence going with us. And as we go, we're gonna, we can experience his power, his miracles, his help in the most difficult circumstances because we're on his agenda, not just our own. Amen? So let's expect the favor of God like a prevailing wind. And when the favor of God's in your life, even though, like Joseph, you're not immediately taken out of the situation, you can be blessed in the situation. Uh, illustration comes to mind. Um, I was uh, on the particular walk, the West Highland Way, as part of our sabbatical. I'd already been going a, a long way, and I had blisters on my feet, and I, I need a bit of sympathy as I tell this story, Okay. <laughs> I had blisters on my feet, and I was facing a 13-mile leg of the journey. No, thank you. <laughs> no lose, no cafe, no food. Uh, it's so, yeah, thank you. You're doing really well. <laughs> it's so bleak that even the sheep aren't stupid enough to be on it. It's a place called Rannock Moor. It, it is desolate out there. So here I was, blisters on my feet. That was a bit slow. And as I set out, the rain came. The, I tell you, Scotland is, loves rain. And it wasn't just like raining a little bit. It was like driving rain, and I was walking into it. And I was wearing this coat that I'd bought that was, I was told was guaranteed waterproof. <laughs> and after half an hour, I start feeling all damp down my neck. I thought, what's going on there? It must be sweat. And of course, it wasn't. The, the coat had leaked. 
So here I am, picture the scene, I'm blisters. I'm on this long journey, no one's around, not even sheep to keep me company. And the driving rain is coming against me, and I'm feeling utterly miserable. I thought, this is supposed to be a sabbatical. I'm supposed to be getting refreshed. <laughs> and then suddenly, the rain stopped. The wind that was coming against me died right down. The sun came out. I was still on Rannoch Moor. I still had many miles to go, and I still had blisters on my feet. Now, this is the good bit now. I'm not. <laughs> but I went the rest of the journey with a new spring in my step, almost like I was being propelled forward, still in that, in that situation, on that moor. But guess what? That climatic change meant that everything... In one sense, nothing had changed, but in one sense, everything had changed. When the favor of God is on you, the circumstances may not yet have changed, but everything changes when you have the smile of God on your life. It's like a prevailing wind helping you move forward. So that's the first thing. How many ready to make a difference right now? Expect the favor of God. Secondly... Second thing that Joseph does that we can learn from is exercise the gifts of God. Expect the favor of God and then exercise the gifts of God right now in your current season. You see, if we're going to make a difference now, it's not just enough to say, well, the favor of God's going with me. It's true. Because God doesn't want to bless you where you are in spite of you. He wants to do something in you and through you. And one of the major ways God wants to bless others through you is God has given you certain gifts. It's all from God still, but you have to actively partner with him and use the gifts he's given you. If you look at Joseph, he had, I think, at least a couple of major gifts. The first is he had what I'd call a, a leadership, administrative, organizing getting it done kind of gift. I mean, why was it that everywhere he went, the, the guy says, okay, apart from just me being over you, you're going to run this thing for me. They weren't just doing it because they, they didn't just see a heavenly glow on him. That's the favor of God. They actually saw there's something about this guy who makes a difference. What was that? That was the leadership gift. That was the ability to organize and get things done. Now, if Joseph had not exercised that gift in Potiphar's household and in prison, I don't believe he would have been ready for the far bigger assignment of running the Egyptian empire. Would you agree? How many think it takes a little bit of experience of leadership before you're in charge of running an empire? God knew that. That's part of what this season was about. So don't despise the day of small things. Don't say, well, why am I here? You're partly here because God wants you to make a difference to those around you, but he's, you're partly there because he wants to prepare you for what he's prepared for you. So don't get off, oh, when I get there. No, no, exercise your gifts now. So that's the first thing, he had a leadership gift. But then secondly, he had what, what we might call a prophetic gift. It's all to do with dreams. He has the dream early on in the story. But also we find him here in the, in the text we've just heard actually interpreting the dreams of his fellow prisoners. And guess what? He was faithful interpreting their dreams, which opened a door for a future 
telling of a dream, who also had some dreams later in the story, and Joseph was able to interpret his dreams. Pharaoh, some of you have read ahead, and that was a complete game changer and was the way that God got him to where he wanted him to, to be. But the point is, Joseph didn't wait till he was interpreting the dreams of someone really important. When I meet somebody really important, then I'll, then I'll be on my best behavior. No, he was using his gifts for the people around him. He's just faithful with those who are, who are in his charge. So, What's that got to do with us? Well, the good news is, again, if Joseph in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Christ and before the outpouring of the Spirit, had these kind of gifts, guess what? We can be confident because we are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, and God has given us all gifts. I haven't got time to unpack this. If you read end of chapter 5 and most of chapter 6 of Living the Dream, um, I unpack a little bit more about this teaching on spiritual gifts, but quick overview throughout the New Testament both Paul and Peter and others they teach about the fact that God has given every single Christian's gifts some gifts that we have are what I call creational gifts you know things that we're just born with that we're good at for me it might be something like DIY not (laughs) I got missed on that one at least that's my excuse anyway But no, certain things, and and we think, well, that's not really a gift. That's just what I'm good at. Yeah, and where did it come from? It came from God. He's he's your creator. And then there's a sense in which we we have what we might call spiritual gifts, except they're all from the Spirit because they're all from the same God. But when you become a Christian, when you get born again, and particularly when you get filled with the Spirit or baptized in the Spirit, you start realizing God gives you other gifts. It's almost like he releases certain gifts. Gifts, and there's lists of them in the New Testament, things like prophecy, like Joseph had, healing or miracles or special faith. There's, there's those kind of gifts. Now, God hasn't missed you out when it came to giving gifts. You're included. Say right now, I count myself in. Why don't you say that? I count myself in. God has given you certain things. They won't be the same gifts as Joseph but God has given you gifts. Now, in the the New Testament, most of the references to spiritual gifts and how we're to apply them are taught within the context of a local church. Most of the guys they're writing about when churches get together in groups and gatherings and whatever, now help one another within the church. How many know that? We have gifts to help other people in the church. But what I love about the Joseph story is that here's an example of a guy in the Old Testament who was actually anointed by God for spiritual gifts that he uses not inside but outside. Joseph doesn't have an inside. He's out there on his own in a foreign country in what we would call a workplace environment, and it's tough, and yet he's ready to use the gifts that God has given him. So how does he use these gifts, as it were, like a frontline kingdom ambassador. Two, two major ways I want to pick out. The first is, we like him, we need to use our gifts in honoring the place we work, and specifically, I want to say this to you, use your gifts, be ready to use your gifts to honor those who are over you. To honor those who are over you. And if you're not in a workplace environment, appreciate you, some of you won't be, You could maybe apply it to church, to, you know, honoring group pastors or ministry leaders. But for all of us, 
There's a calling to honor those who are over us. To the many of you who are in the workplace and working for others, let me ask a simple question. How does Joseph honor those he's working for? Well, fundamentally, he does a great job. He works. He's diligent. He's effective. And again, if you look back at Joseph's background and history, I think it's all the more remarkable. Remember the coat he wore? The coat was a symbol of his dad's favoritism, but it was also, we suggested quite strongly, most likely meant that he was so special, he didn't need to work. So he spends all his life growing up kind of the special one who doesn't need to work, no good to anybody, (laughs) strutting around prideful, and yet here he is now, every time you see him, he's, as it were, getting hands-on to stuff. He's no longer a a sort of a young dreamer. He's still got those dreams somewhere in his heart, but he's somebody who's prepared to get his hands dirty, to work hard, and to make a difference right where he is. Isn't that a wonderful transformation? Can I just say, hard work's good, work is good. Diligent hands will prosper, the Bible says. So here he is, he's getting on and working. And then it's worth noting that all his life, his working life, Joseph works for someone else. That's not wrong if you end up as the boss or the CEO or you're self-employed. But I think it's interesting that Joseph is almost content with what God's called him to be, which is a fantastic number two. He rises to the very top wherever he goes, but he's always uh, reporting to or serving someone else. And if you think about the bosses, if you like, that Joseph worked for, let's just say they probably weren't Christians. In fact, I know they weren't. They were highly unlikely to be worshippers of Yahweh, the God of Israel. Um, We know they, they were all Egyptians, And what we know about um, Potiphar, background studies have suggested he was probably a pretty ruthless man. Why do I say all this? Because some people, hopefully not many people in in Kingsgate, but some people think, well, I'll honor my boss if he or she is nice to me, encourages me every day, takes an interest in my work, and is fair on every occasion. Now, how many of you like it when you've got a boss like that? If you've got someone like that, thank God for it. But if we look at the whole of Scripture, Joseph models honor kind of regardless of who he's working for. The New Testament teaches that we are to honor those in authority, not so much because they are good, because ultimately all authority comes from the one who is totally good. And so in Colossians 3, verse 22, for example, Paul says this, Obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. You have an ultimate heavenly boss. Now, can I say, hear me really clearly, this does not mean that you become slavish in your obedience to the point where you end up doing something to please somebody else who's over you when it's against God and against his will and against his word because you have a higher authority who is Christ. Amen? Let's be absolutely clear about that. But under that overall umbrella, we need to embrace the next part of Paul's instruction. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Why? Because you're working for the Lord 
not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Very often when I talk about serving in the local church in context of serving kings, I said, you know, guys, as we serve on the car park and, you know, ministry teams and small groups, whatever, when we go to to, to, to glory and Jesus hands out the rewards, we're going to get a fantastic reward for all that we've done. But this verse is telling us, in addition to that, you're going to get a reward for the work you do, your Monday morning work, your Monday afternoon looking for the kids' work, after the kids' work, whatever you're doing to serving others in Jesus' name, there is going to be a reward in the new heavens on the new earth. Aren't you glad about that? It's all going to be worth it. So let's make a decision that we're going to honor those over us and we're going to make a difference now. I heard a great story of a church in the U.S. where it says, one of the leaders in our church works for a job placement company. She sent me an email a while back telling me that whenever she can, she hires people from our church. Her boss, who is most definitely not a follower of Jesus, had walked into her office and asked her to hire as many people as she can from that church you go to because they make the best employees around. Come on, let's have emails written like that. All across the UK, amen, and particularly within our cities and region. So first then, let's be always ready to use our gifts to those who honor us. Let's make a decision. Wherever we're at, God, we're going to honor you by honoring those over us. We're going to do a great job. Secondly, as well as honoring those over us, I believe God wants us to use our gifts in the here and now to help those around us. So this is the second thing. Help those around you. Use your gifts. Be ready to use your gifts to help those around you. And this obviously applies whether we're in work or not. I was just out in the, the center of town just doing a bit of shopping yesterday. And sometimes it kind of gets the point where I don't know whether I've just particularly sensitive to the Lord in a particular moment, but I'm just so aware of the compassion of God and what he feels about the people I see walking all around me. Guess what? God loves every single person you're ever going to meet. And he knows their needs, and he wants to reach out to them and help them through you. Be they neighbors, be they people in your social space, be they, be they people at work. Let's be alert and aware to those around us. And this is what Joseph does. It's incredible. He's an amazing example of reaching out to his fellow prisoners. Again, let's remember, what was Joseph's growing up experience like when it came to relating to, say, peers? Awful, wasn't it? He actually spends his whole life, the odd one out, almost like completely isolated and separated from his brothers. He walks around probably with a prideful superiority, thinking just about Joseph. Here he is in the prison. Look at what the tough years have done. Look at the softening now and the compassion and the awareness of those around him. It, the, 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 the key to this miracle that we're about to see, the key to this incredible prophetic moment, is Joseph just notices what's going on. Sometimes I think, well, I'm going to wait for a, a sudden feeling before I step out and serve God. Sometimes you just need to be aware of where people are at. Notice what goes on. It, 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 he's got 
two fellow prisoners who by the providence of God happened to have come from Pharaoh's household, which is part of the unfolding the story. These two officials have had a dream. Joseph goes to them. They're in his care. And he notices something about it. It says, Joseph saw that they were dejected. And that simple seeing, that simple awareness, opened the door for what's to happen. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? He's not prying, but he is interested. He is empathetic. And because they weren't good Brits, they were Egyptians from the Middle East, they didn't say, I'm fine, thank you. That <laughs> They were open and that they explained what the problem was. Can I say the love of God, the compassion of God is the thing we need to lead out with because as we allow the love of God to flow through us, it's almost like on, uh, the, the love of God opens the door for the gifts of God and the power of God to go through. Amen. And I know all across Kingsgate, we've got many, many incredible servant-hearted kingdom ambassadors and your heart is for people around you. Be encouraged. God wants you to be aware of needs and ready to meet them. And then, as, if you like, the needs are obvious, and you know, maybe it's through observation, maybe it's through conversation, maybe just the Holy Spirit prompts you, you can be confident that you've got the resources to meet those needs. In this case, the two guys had had dreams, and they had no one to interpret them. Joseph boldly steps forward, not confident in his own ability, but confident in God's grace, and he says this, do not interpretations belong to God. He's pointing to God as the source. Tell me your dreams. Now, let's pause for a moment. If you were Joseph and somebody came to you and said, I want you to interpret your dreams, how would you have responded? This is how I might have responded. Don't talk to me about dreams. Last time I had one and shared it, it got me in trouble. And more to the point, it's about 10 years since that dream, I had that dream, and look where I am. But he wasn't like that. He was front foot. Can I say, he'd not lost faith in God's gift working, and he was prepared to step out, and I believe it's so important. Don't stop using the gifts God's given you just because it didn't work once or it didn't turn out how you wanted once, don't stop sharing the gospel or inviting people to church or praying for them or getting involved in their lives or helping them practically just because last time it didn't go too well. Keep on serving, keep on front foot, keep on helping those around you. Always be ready to help those around you. And then, yeah, come on. Don't back off. Oh, no, it might not work again. Keep stepping out. Keep being led by God. Keep allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you. And then as, God, as, as you find God works through you, point where you can, not in a cringing way, but wherever you have opportunity to say, and actually, it's because God loves you. Why does this happen? Because Jesus has a plan for your life. Joseph pointed to God, and he did so humbly. He was humble. He knew it all came from God now, not Joseph. But he was also incredibly bold, wasn't he? 
Do you read how he interpreted the dreams of those guys and they came to pass and some of you say, well, I could never do that. But maybe that's not your primary gift. But when you're in your gift, when you're in your zone, you can be humble but confident that God is using you. Amen? And the great news is I know that all across Kingsgate, we've got many amazing people who are living in and expecting the favor of God. They're exercising the gifts God has given them. A particular one I want to just read to you is a great story from uh, Frannick, who's an amazingly faithful and gifted drummer on our Peterborough worship team. He sent in this email entitled, The Life of a Pea Salesman, P-E-A. He says this, When it comes to work, I think I'm well away from the level of Joseph. I'm not the prime minister, thankfully, but I am occasionally in charge of grain storage. Then he gives a synopsis of his professional career. After A-levels, he tries to get stopgap jobs and gets turned down for everyone. Finally gets, the, the, if you like, the lowest job available, which was laboratory assistant at a local agricultural supplier on £8,500 a year, the minimum wage. His job was to, to weigh grains, wheat, barley, peas, and beans. And as he says, as you can imagine, it was not the most riveting of jobs. Understandably, he feels a bit restless, but then he starts getting promoted, not once, but twice. He has a season when he's working for a particularly difficult boss, very upsetting and challenging time, but he decides to stay put. Then, through circumstances changing, he suddenly gets promoted to a key sales position. During this time and later on, he keeps getting headhunted, but God says to him, stick with it. This is what he says. It's all paid off. These are his words. Today, I write as our industry's association president, the youngest ever. I'm a member of the all-parliamentary party food and health forum alongside associate members, including MPs, lords and ladies, and industry experts. I've helped our business win Business Innovation of the Year, and I'm considered one of the top country's top new talents by an independent grocery magazine. In a couple of years' time, it's likely that I will be solely responsible for the selling of 15 million pounds worth of product. I'm an industry judge for Quality Pulses, one of only five in the country, and I travel the world meeting customers and helping their businesses grow. Isn't that fantastic? He concludes by saying, on the drive to work, I try to give the day to God each morning. I try to treat everyone fairly, with dignity and respect. And of course, I try to have fun. I think that's a fantastic story of a modern day Joseph. Somebody who was prepared to make a difference when it was tough, when the prospects weren't great, and God has promoted him. And what he was faithful in the little, God has and is putting him in charge over much. And I really do believe that God is wanting to raise up a Joseph company all across Kingsgate, in all our towns, our villages, and our cities. Men and women anointed by his spirit, who are not going to just wait for some big break in the future, but going to say, God, will you use me now? Will let your favor come on my life now? I want to use what you've given me now. And as we do, guess what's going to happen? Many other people are going to get blessed. 
And God is going to be preparing us as we're faithful where we are for the greater things that are to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for your hand upon our lives. Thank you for the future you have for us, but I want to thank you for the opportunity to make a difference now. So I pray for encouragement, wisdom, favor, and strength upon every single one of us to make a difference now in Jesus' name. And all the glory goes to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.